This episode of the Three Things Podcast is brought to you by Farnham. Welcome to the August edition of Three Things from Equus, the podcast where we share practical horsekeeping tips for the month ahead. I'm Equus editor Lori Prins. And I'm managing editor Christine Barricat. Is it just me or did July fly by? It is not just you. July did seem to move quickly. I might be in the minority, but I sort of like August at the barn. Yes, it can be hot, but you've established summer routines, and there's typically not a lot going on. It's a minute to sort of catch your breath and gather your wits before autumn arrives. Something that does happen in August, though, is vacations, and that's the first thing we want to talk about today. Specifically, what information should you leave at your horse's boarding facility when you head out of town? It wasn't all that long ago that cell phones didn't exist, and you had to leave landline phone numbers for your hotel or wherever you were staying. Uh, And even then, getting in touch with horse owners in an emergency could be quite difficult. I remember, in fact, that we ran a story years ago about a ship-to-shore call that had to be placed when an owner was on a cruise when her horse needed emergency surgery. There are some definite downsides to being reachable by cell phone when you're on vacation, but the benefit is when you're far from your horse. So leave your cell phone number, ideally posted in a public place at the barn, like a bulletin board in the tack room, where anyone can find it quickly in an emergency. Also leave the phone numbers of your horse's veterinarian and a backup veterinarian, as well as the farrier. One last thing you may want to do is to designate a local person to be an alternative decision maker. Essentially, you empower a trusted friend at the barn who knows you and your horse well to make decisions if, for some reason, you're unavailable. This is a way to ensure that, in an emergency, your horse will receive the care he needs without delay, even if you can't be reached. This is a great idea, and we gave some advice in the magazine a while back about how to do this. Really quickly, first of all, check with the person that you designate is willing to accept that responsibility and have a frank discussion with them about what kinds of treatment you want to have your horse to have in particular scenarios. Then write an official letter giving this person power to make emergency decisions about your horse on your behalf in the event you can't be reached. You can make the letter as detailed and as specific as you'd like, tailor it to your situation and your concerns. Then sign the letter and give it to the barn manager or the owner. Also, send a copy to your veterinarian and make sure the letter contains information on how to reach your designated decision maker. Of course, you hate to think of you'll ever need such a thing, but in an emergency, having a letter like that can make all the difference. Next, we want to talk about mounting blocks. Equus has always encouraged the use of mounting blocks, and not just for the convenience of the rider, but for the health of the horse. Studies have shown that mounting blocks reduce pull, pressure, and torque on a horse's spine compared to mounting from the ground. Admit it, bugs suck. They're the last thing you want hanging around your horse and stable. Our friends at Farnham can help rid your barn of these annoying, filthy, disease-carrying bad guys. If you're ready for the best way to protect your horse, your stable, and yourself, look to Farnham's no-fly zone solution. The people over at Farnham have discovered the best way to set yourself up for success is by fighting on all fronts. With their three-stage approach of block, repel, reduce, you can be sure flies, mosquitoes, and ticks are kept away. Go to Farnham.com, that's F-A-R-N-A-M dot com, to learn more and download a free copy of the Horse Owner's Guide to Creating Your Own No-Fly Zone. Plus, you can find money-saving offers to help you get on your way to a fly-free zone. Farnham, your partner in fly control. So using mounting blocks is important, but the type of block also matters. 
for safety, it's best to use items that are specifically made for mounting, such as those large, solid plastic mounting blocks that you can order from tax stores. Yeah, they're bulky, but your horse isn't going to get hurt on them. Right. I recently heard a very tragic first-hand account from a veterinarian about a horse who stepped into a collapsible kitchen step stool that was being used as a mounting block. The stool folded up, the horse panicked, and the result was a catastrophic tendon laceration. All it takes is one misstep for tragedy to happen. Yeah, if you don't have a purpose-made mounting block, you can use a large tree stump. Just make sure it's easily accessible and that the surface isn't slick. In a pinch, I've used fence lines and picnic tables to mount up, but those aren't ideal. A horse isn't likely to injure himself on those, but I feel like it's just a matter of time before I fall off a fence trying to get on a horse and hurt myself. Uh, Sometimes on a trail ride, you have to make do with what you have and use good judgment. But after hearing about that accident, though, I'm going to walk miles to find a safe way to mount a horse before using a metal step stool of any sort. Yes, it's definitely worth that extra trouble. You know, in some older cities, you can still see large concrete mounting blocks near churches and in historic shopping districts. The horses are long gone, of course, but the blocks are still there. Some cities, such as Charleston, South Carolina, even have self-guided walking tours that take you from mounting block to mounting block throughout the city. Oh, how cool. That's definitely something I'm going to look for next time I'm traveling in a historic area. The last thing we want to talk about today is wounds, and specifically how to tell if a wound on your horse is infected. There's a reason I never went to vet school. All wounds look really gross to me. (laughs) I'm totally with you there. That's why it's important, though, to tell the difference between one that's healing normally and one that's infected. Here are signs that infection have set in. First, there's heat, which you can feel with your hand. Next, look for swelling that doesn't subside within a few days. Also, be alert for foul odor, red skin adjacent to the wound, and here's the gross part, any drainage that's not clear or creamy. Bright green or yellow pus is a sign of infection. Can't I just take a picture every day and send it to the vet? You can, but you're still going to have to look at it. I suppose. Well, that's it for the August edition of Three Things from Equus. We hope this information has been helpful. And we'll be back in September with some more tips. This episode of the Three Things Podcast was brought to you by Farnham. Help spread the word about the Equus Three Things Podcast. Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. The Equus Three Things Podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.